Blog Talk Radio. Quentin has 
shared with me some of the emails um, that you had sent him. And what's always interested me is the idea, you know, obviously the subject of, um, you know, aliens, um, other world beings, whether, you know, interdimensional or, you know, actually other worlds. Um, and you both have had uh, quite a few experiences with that. Is that correct? Yes, we have. Uh, we've had um, you know, alien or uh, mm-hmm. whatever they are, and then also we've had right, for uh, lack ghosts. of a better term. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then we've had ghosts and other uh, different things like that also. So I'm curious if you had to go back to the beginning, to to the very first experience that you can remember, um, an experience that changed you profoundly and kind of piqued your interest in everything, you know, the path that you both, your lives have both taken, um, where would you go back? Where would that take you to that, to that very, the, that, that encounter that just changed it all for you? I'll go ahead and um, interject, just kind of frame a little bit of this for us, uh, mm-hmm. to give us a starting point. Um, okay. Chad and I, Chad and I have been together since 1990. There's so much to the beginning that I'll just kind of mention it quickly. There's no doubt to me at all, personally. I don't know really how Chad feels about this, but I personally feel that there's no doubt that Chad and I were, as I call this, an arranged union by an mm-hmm. unseen force, an unseen hand, and that happened in 1990 in Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, if I may be just answering the question, because that was a wonderful way that you posed that, Diana, of, you know, what happened that actually changed us, was then Mm -hmm. in 1990, I knew that there was paranormal involved in our meeting and our connection. But it was in 1995, five years later, Chad and I moved to um, just outside of Hammond, Louisiana, which is somewhere a guesstimate of, 45 minutes to an hour outside of New Orleans. and uh, I know it. Hammond, mm-hmm. Okay, great. Uh, oh, yes, Chad I'm familiar with right Oh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, Chad and I were living right outside of Hammond, and one night we were going into Hammond to have dinner. It was, you know, somewhere I'm, this happened again in 95, somewhere in between 6-ish, 7-ish of the evening, so it's still a little bit light out, but you know, getting dark, and we're driving. Chad's driving. I'm the passenger. Um, we came around a bend of trees, and off to the right was a huge uh, supersized Walmart, and, of course, the parking lot it sat on. And right as we came around that bend, above that shopping center, not so far up in the sky that we clearly couldn't see, it was probably only around what we guesstimate is cloud level or below cloud level, a craft, a UFO in its most honest sense, uh, an unidentified flying object was hovering above us. I was not going to deal with this, but it was so massive that there was no way to ignore it, but I did my very best. I turned my head away. Mm -hmm. I was in such shock. I could not comprehend because that can't happen. Whatever that is can't be. So 
I'll have Chad describe to you because he did take some time to actually look at this craft of what he saw on our behalf. Okay. It was kind of it was kind of um, rectangular or um, uh, monolithic in shape. Uh, you know, it was long, squarish. It was a little shorter in the front than it was in the back moving very slowly, very flat on the bottom. You know, we're looking at it from, from the bottom. Uh, black, totally black, metallic. Um, there was two, three uh, lights in the front, three or four lights in the back. Again, it was bigger than this, this Walmart and the, the parking lot combined. Um, oh, wow. It had no sound. No it, sound. There was no sound, and if it was moving, it was moving so slowly. Chad says it was moving. I, I, you know, I can't, I can't confirm whether it was or wasn't. But if it was moving, it was moving so slowly that it appeared to be standing still in the air. Right. So what we essentially did—I'll just pick it back up to move us along here. We essentially did our very best to ignore it chose not to speak about it. Mm -hmm. Chad and I, neither one of us had any interest in any of this prior to that event. Um, so we'll get to So essentially, my point is, is that when this happened, we just made up our mind it didn't happen. And we were going to ignore it. So it was never intended to speak about it or even, at this point, talk about this situation. The next day, we discovered that other folks witnessed it as well and must have called it in and they had a story in the paper and in the news about this craft. So whether we liked it or not, it was there. And that was essentially, right. as I've said before, this is my take on this was this event in itself, we Chad and I had a lot of craziness prior to this, but this event in itself was, in my estimation, the moment that we no longer had the luxury to deny that this was happening to us. Interesting. Um, so, now, and, and you would definitely consider that to be that, that, that spark that started, just, be, just created this whole, like, sent you on this journey, in, in other words, just for a, a lack of a better term. Um, now, I, I'm sorry, when Diana, you, just, when you, just to I, get clear, so that was, essentially... I'm sorry. I just was going to clarify. Even after that event, we had no interest. It wasn't until okay. another two years. Okay. So two years. And now you've you've had this experience at this at this area here in out of Hammond in Hammond there. And two years later. So two years later, um, what occurs that changes your mind and you know, basically makes you turn around and say, you know, this is definitely something that's affecting our lives and, you know, we really need to, you know, take, go ahead and, and take this journey where, regardless of where it leads us. What, what was that moment that two years down the road? So after we saw that, after that event with the craft, the massive UFO, we then not long after that moved into the French Quarter mm -hmm. of New Orleans where we both became employed and lived. Um, from 95, back when we moved, was in 95 to the French Quarter. From 95 to 97, all manner of high strangeness seemed to be happening to Chad and I in regards to ghosties and time slips 
and I had a Virgin Mary type of apparition uh, encounter. And possibly, again, I don't know anything, and I work really hard not to label any of this, but I may have encountered slaves that had lived in the buildings that we were living in back in the 1600s. So all manner of strangeness was going on from 95 to 97. Then in 97, Chad and I and another woman who was a friend and a co-worker to me left our shop at 9.30 in the evening in the French Quarter where she and I both worked She'd asked if Chad and I, if she asked me originally if I wanted to go out and have dinner and drinks after work in the quarter. I had, uh, I accepted and I told her, I said, let's call Chad. I know he'd want to join. At that time, we only mm-hmm. lived a couple of blocks from the shop in the quarter. We lived on a street called Toulouse, right in the, right in, kind of in the heart of the quarter. Chad walked over. It was only a couple blocks from our shop. We left our shop around 930 at night. We started, we did, we were on foot. Now, Jacqueline, the third person involved with us, Jacqueline, had driven to work that morning. She lived at Algiers Point. Algiers Point is right outside of the port. She had, she either would take the ferry back and forth or she would drive her car. On that day, she drove her car. Her Mm -hmm. car up the street from our shop, which was on the opposite end of the quarter of when our event took place. So her car is parked that morning, just up the street from our shop. At the end of our night, which only lasted about an hour and a half, the best of our guesstimation, we started our night at 9.30. On foot, we walked out of our shop. We were going to just stop along the way across the quarter at different clubs and restaurants. And Mm -hmm. what we noticed immediately, immediately, was that there were no people moving about on the street. There might have been a few stragglers, okay. but their certainly the whole vibe was off. Everything was off, and it was twilight zoning, and it was weird. And I remember taking note of it instantly. So I'm just, again, trying to speed the story up. It took us from right. about 9.30, starting the night, to around 11-ish, about an hour and a half, for us to make it across about 23 blocks, which is what the French Quarter is comprised of. Mm-hmm. Each place that we stopped, we stopped at three locations that were very familiar to us. None of these locations had any people in these bars or restaurants, no wait staff. Every one of these locations had either a bartender or one location we stopped at in the beginning was a friend of ours that was a manager of one of these places. But again, there was no people in any of these places. That's unheard of. Right, right. When we get to the other end of the quarter, like I said, it's around 11-ish. We're sitting on the street. We're literally, the three of us are on a street corner. None of us have had anything to drink. We are not drugged, nor were there any people around to drug us. And at this point, I'm telling Chad, I just want to go home. This is what I kept repeating. I just want to go home. I'm bored. And Mm -hmm. so keep in mind, the three of us collectively remember around 11 o'clock at night the next thing I know is I'm coming to the next day, sitting up in my living room. I've lost from around 11-ish the night before until somewhere around between 8 and 9 the next morning. 
is missing. Now, I yeah. am also the only I'm the only one out of the three of us that essentially had an experience that night that has memory of what I call the in-between. I have a very distinct okay. memory that I, that I came to with, but I also would like to add, Chad has had regression about that night. If you're interested, he has a very interesting, you know, event to share. He, he, can, he can tell you more about what happened to him and possibly Jacqueline. But in his regression, I'm not in his experience. And in my memory, okay. he and Jacqueline, he and Jacqueline are not with me. It's as if we were. Okay, separated. now, now who is? You got to catch our listeners up now. Who is Jacqueline? Jacqueline was our friend and my coworker. Okay. Okay, so it was so the three of you, no, just you and Chad that had this experience, though, and not Jacqueline, correct, right? Taken also. All three of us were. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. And so and in this regression, it came to light that there was um, – was it, and 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 I I apologize ahead of time for, for the terminology I'm not sure what's correct is but an um, abduction of some sort. Um, I don't use that term, is but that, that certainly seems okay. to be the common term of abduction. Keep in mind okay. again, I'm just repeating exactly the way that I remembered it. Right. And okay. It, in, so being taken is, is more appropriate. I'm sorry. Being taken is more appropriate. You know, it just seems to be an easier word for me. Yeah, but I'm, right. I'm not, okay, I understand that. I'm not you know, the language. I just don't use it mm-hmm. personally. Right. Okay. Uh, and uh, Jacqueline, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, as, as far as um, this experience, now, now this re- regression, um, and like I said, we are. We're limited to time on this. Um, as far as the regression that came about, um, and, and obviously we, we really can't, we have to be careful um, about relaying a story like <clears throat> Jacqueline's words only because, um, you know, we don't want to be held liable for anything. Um, um, so, Diane, I just want to yeah. pop in really quick. Uh, oh, we do sure, have a right. caller with a question. Do you want me to answer oh. it? Uh, that'd be fine. Go ahead. Okay. Jack, um, I'm sorry, um, Alta, in um, the chat, would you mind taking a question? We have an 860 area code. Um, okay. Oops, sorry. Um, we have an 860 area code. Uh, you are on the air. Oh, my goodness. Hello? Hello. Oh, hi. Hello. <clears throat> hi. You're on the air. Um, is this Marguerite? Yes, it is. Okay. Marguerite, this is one of, actually one of our, our hosts from another show we have. Um, did you have a question for Chad or Alta? Uh, no, but I find conversation interesting because, you know, this is something that, you know, we've been actually watching a lot on uh, National Geographic and a lot of the other um, stations. They're really expounding on uh, UFO, UFO sightings, UFO files that were, you know, just undisclosed and people who are taken. This is really unique as to what is seems to be happening now. It's almost as if uh, 
the media is trying to uh, what they use desensitize people to alien uh, inhabitants. You know, how, to me, the, to me, the media desensitizes people to everything, whether it's sex, language, whatever. They 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 they, they do desensitize people, and I think what now is is they're desensitizing people to the fact that there there's aliens living among us, and I do believe that. And so when you say you had an encounter, I believe it. There's a lot going on, you know, that's been going on for years. I think you're I think you're right there Marguerite because um you know you uh, the the idea of desensitizing is um I would say a good idea because you can't exactly spring information on people because not all people react well to information um given to <laughs> well, them all you know, the usual, usual My computer doesn't even react well to too much information usually Yeah but the usual effect is people well, what things that they are they don't know about is panic you know, and with panic comes aggression, and serious aggression. You know, what do we do? We shoot first and ask questions later, and that's what you know. What that's what you know humanity usually does. So what I think what they're doing is they're desensitizing people to the fact that there are aliens aliens among us, not only through National Geographic and, and shows like that, but movies of late. You know, all dealing with alien, you know, encounters, whether it's alien. Invade, yeah. Invasion or Star Wars or whatever. This is all a part of the desensitization <laughs> so that when we realize, you know, when somebody actually comes forth and says, hey, they're here, they've been here for like 100 years or 1,000 years or whatever, you know, people aren't going to be shocked. So, Chad, Chad and also both of you, I guess this question is for, um, now hearing somebody say something like that, putting a theory forth like that, what, what is your reaction to something like that? that idea of, again, the media using television and movies to desensitize the public to alien presence so when the truth comes out, they're not alarmed. They've already been kind of leaned into it. What do you think about that to both of you? Uh, That's the only reason I watch TV. (laughs) (laughs) Because I know know there's the bloomer message out there. There is. Okay, so you do believe that. So you do believe that theory is, is very viable then. Yeah, I, I believe totally. And I'm sorry, what was her, the lady's name, Mary? No, Marguerite. Uh, Marguerite. Marguerite. Yeah, I, 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 she sounds very knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. I mean, you listen closely. This is the way things have been done for years in this country. People have been sensitized through years, whether it's food sex, language, we've all been desensitized through everything. And now, uh, as of late, I'd say the past 20 years, we've, they've been de- desensitizing us about regarding aliens, uh, people from outer space, and crafts from outer space, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I just think there's going to be uh, a, a revolution you know, somebody's going to reveal, oh, yeah, guess what? They've been here for, like, you know, they probably live next door to you. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So um, I'm going to jump in quick. Um, um, so, Chad, uh, you have a, a regression from this experience. Um, did you want to tell us about that? 
Yes, I'd love to share my experience. If you're got an open ear. Yep. Uh, also, Hello? if I may, again, I'm understanding we're under time constraint. Diana, you mentioned uh, about Jacqueline and needing to be careful about her. We have her account in writing. I had her write her account. Okay. We're okay, so we do have permission to speak her. about her then. Okay. We absolutely do, and we are still in contact mm-hmm. with each other. Her and I just spoke a couple weeks okay. ago. And, uh, she okay. knows that we have been public about all of this, and she has asked us, you know, given us permission to speak on her behalf about what happened to okay. her because it's quite interesting. We just always speak, yeah. We're always just we're always just really careful about that kind of stuff as far as bringing other people's stories involved because it is such a sensitive topic. So we just want to make sure that you know Jacqueline was okay with us, you know, talking about her. Absolutely. Um, we do get that request. We really appreciate that. We we really appreciate that. Wonderful. Yeah, and like I said, you know, the the one thing we try to do with the show is always keep it respectful. So. Right. Oh, definitely. Well, I'll just if I could because once Chad starts this regression part, it's a little bit more mm-hmm. in depth. If I can tell you Jacqueline's okay. portion of it, Jacqueline remembers around 11-ish, just like Chad and I, exactly the way we do. The next thing Jacqueline knows, it, it's now around 3-ish in the morning. She has four hours, somewhere in that time frame, completely wiped clean. She has no memory at all, but the next thing she knows, she's now sitting behind the steering wheel of her moving car. Her car is moving slowly, and it hit a parked wow. car. And it, and it knocked off her rear view mirror, which is what jolted her, too. Now, that car was also in a whole other section of the city, miles away from where she had parked that car that morning. There's mm-hmm. a lot more to that okay. story. But that's just to give you an idea that she clearly was returned, or whatever the case may be, with tremendous life strangeness involved in her experience as well. She's not had regression, so she has no idea the four hours in between. Okay. And then about now and have Chad answer Quentin with the regression, if you like. Yeah, that would be great. Well, it's my regression. The last thing I remember is being uh, on that little stoop on the on the street there. Um, we, I'm, I'm noticing this bright light coming from around the corner. Um, I get the girl's attention, we walk around the corner, and there's this sphere. It's probably 12 foot in diameter, it's probably 15 foot off the ground, and it's probably a half block down the road, down the street. Cat it for just a few seconds, and then all of a sudden, it just kind of engulfs us. The next thing I remember is... uh, I'm walking down this corridor, this hallway. Everything's all metallic, the walls, the floor, everything. No nuts, no bolts, very clean. Uh, There is a being in front of me that I'm following. Uh, We're in movement. Uh, He's only probably about three foot tall. Very Mm -hmm. light, white, pale gray skin. Uh, He was built more like a dwarf, not like the little thin grays that you see on TV. Preferably, I could see okay. to my left, see a tall, blonde female. Uh, this this describes our friend Jacqueline, uh, but I didn't turn to look. 
My next memory is I'm in another room. This room seems to be infinite. It's just huge. It's very dark. I can't see any walls or anything. I can see kind of my immediate uh, around surroundings. Uh, I don't remember seeing a light source. Off in the distance to the left, I can see a tall blonde female laying on an examining table. There are three beings around her. Uh, she's laying on this uh, uh, examining table. She's nude, but she's censored from head to toe. Uh, you can't, I can't see who or what or body parts or anything like that. There, again, this describes our friend Jacqueline with the long blonde hair. Um, my neck, the, there's three beings around her. There's two at each uh, shoulder and one at her head. They're probably eight, nine foot tall. Very, very large heads. Um, kind of a greenish gray tone, skin tone. Um, mm -hmm. they, they were wearing these cloaks almost like a Jesuit priest or a, a grim reaper without the hood, you know. Okay. The female didn't seem to be in any kind of distress or anything like that. I turned to focus back onto my immediate. And to the right, there's this little blue bean. And he looks a lot like the grays that you see on TV, big, bulbous head, almond eyes, you know, Two and a half, three foot, well, no, I guess he's maybe about three, three and a half foot tall, very thin, but okay. he was just vibrant blue. His, the blueness just seemed to be alive, just electric blue. He, um, he, he seemed to give, his aura was like, almost like a, um, a professor or a shaman a teacher, he um, went over and he gets this box and he takes the box into his right hand. He takes his left hand and puts it into the side of the box. He brings his hand out. He's only got four digits. He brings his hand okay. out. He sets the box down. Now, I don't even remember really him sitting the box down. I just remember him taking his right hand and putting it up almost like uh, depictions of Christ, you know, with two fingers up. Again, he's only got four digits, so he's got two fingers up and two is, I guess, what you would call a thumb and fourth finger kind of moved in. The, above his hand, hmm. when he pulls his hand out of this box, there's this blue blobbish, kind of like a thin, silly putty, like that slime stuff that the kids play with, you know or what you, we played right. with when we were children. But, um, again, it was this vibrant blue, just the same color as he was. It had all these little glittery, sparkly, metally-looking pieces in it. He had his right hand up, and when he put his right hand up, it started spinning. And it started going faster and faster. And the faster it spun, the blueness and the sparkles and all just kind of dissipated out of it. 
they were kind of um, rotating around it, almost like the rings of Saturn, or you know, yeah. it uh, started slowing down, and it had turned into this crystal pyramid, double pointed. Okay. It was probably two and a half, three inches long. Um, not real wide. Um, uh, it's uh, very pyramid, very sharp at each end. I remember thinking to him, you know, why are you showing this to me? This is something very important. You know, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a scientist. This is, you know, this is knowledge should be, you know, I knew it was something important. He spoke with me without moving his lips. Like telepathically, he said, I will know in time or when it's time. Hmm. My next memory is that I'm in this other room. only has three walls, two very straight and one kind of concave. Uh, there was a big, very big um, overstuffed leather chair in the middle of this room. I remember thinking to myself, this is very out of place. It looks comfortable, but it's not. I don't know how I knew that it wasn't comfortable. It just, I never sat in it. I focused my attention back onto the wall that's, that's concave, and I walk a little closer to it. And what I thought was a solid metallic gray wall, I could see through it, almost like a window. Very thick. It seemed to be just you know, feet thick, you know, that makes sense. Uh -huh. I start looking out and I can see stars and planets and it's like I'm out in space. And I'm just kind okay. of standing there, kind of looking out this window, this wall. I mean, because the whole wall, it was probably 15 foot long, <laughs> you know, this wall. again, kind of concave. And I'm just looking at it, and all of a sudden, this craft goes past, and it's real small, and it zooms past me, just right outside the wall, right outside the window. It gets probably eight, nine foot past me, and it almost like does a double take. It zips back, and it's like sitting right outside this wall, this window. And I'm looking at it, and it's got little metal moving things, antennas and wires kind of moving around, and there's little lights kind of blinking on and off around it. It looks like uh, it's probably about three foot long and about two and a half foot wide, kind of shaped like a football, I guess. It sat there for maybe 30, 40 seconds and zoomed off again. The next thing I know is I uh, woke up the next morning in bed. No memory of how I left or what happened. <clears throat> a question that that I want to ask um, is, and it's something I know from personal like I have not had alien encounters, but ghostly encounters. People often um, kind of give you the third degree. So my question is, how do you respond? Because it sounds like an extremely personal experience you had, how do you respond, like, if you're telling someone, you know, you're sitting there, you're telling them your story, and they kind of look at you, and they're like, yeah, sure. Um, 
you know, it's kind of like, I guess my question is, how do you, how do you feel if someone rejects what you're saying or if someone doesn't believe you? Because I know I've had smaller incidences, such as ghostly things, that people are like, okay, he's a whack job. And sometimes it affects you and sometimes it doesn't. Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't bother me that much because, I mean, it isn't, it is out of the ordinary as far as the real world goes, but I'll let Alta kind of expand on that. I'm going to, I'll just add at this point, when I'm, you know, that one event, it's just one event in 23 years of, again, what I call high strangeness happening to Chad and I, but in that one event, when I'm returned the next day, I, I didn't wake up. I came to sitting straight up in my living room rubbing my arms to feel that I have an object in my upper arm that's just underneath the skin, and I sent you x-ray pictures to try to show you this object. I won't expound a lot on this object because it's just too much. It's too big. People call these implants. I call these unknowns. And the reason I do this is because... Mm-hmm. So far, to the best of my knowledge, 17 of these what is labeled implants have been removed from people, and they have been studied by nuclear physicists and theoretical physicists, and you name it, with people in lots of degrees who are studying these objects. And these objects, they say, are 80 to 100 million years in advance of human technology currently. Now, that's too big for me to wrap my brain around. It's just underneath the top layer of skin, so I can guarantee you, Quentin, people can think whatever they care to Uh think about what's happening with us, but I got an object that you can feel and touch, and it freaks people out, and they cannot call us a liar when they see us in person. It's not possible. We have what is called some proof (coughs) that most that most people are ignoring, but they can't ignore it when they when they meet us in person. It's not possible because of this object. Mm. Um, I will say I do have for our listeners. I do have uh, the copy of your X-ray. You did send that. Um, I did look at that, and I know I I believe I sent it to you as well, Diana. Right? You did. Yes. Yes, you did. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just kind of confirming that for our listeners that we we have seen these X-rays that we're talking about here. I'll add that when I had that particular set of x-rays done, that object that looks to me personally pretty nondescript when you're just looking at an x-ray of an arm, but on the day that I had to have those x-rays done, that object chose to not take a picture until the third try. Now, that's impossible. That's impossible to have a solid object in your body that is a solid object not take an x-ray until the third time. The people that were involved in x-raying my arm were so flipped out. And again, this is more of this insanity involved in what is happening with us. We don't consider ourselves victims, but at this stage of it, people keep calling, they're asking for proof. Everyone is asking for proof. And yet we have an object that, for the most part, is, I think, being ignored. So knowing knowing that you've had these experiences and like this particular um, implant or unknown, um, 
would, do you feel that you know the, the purpose of it all, or is that still a mystery to you? Like, where is it all, what's it all leading to, or what is the purpose of, of these experiences? Uh, a fast answer for you is I'm clueless. I, I again, okay. I feel that I have no answers in regards to the big picture, but I'll also share I've had another experience where I'm taken out of bed and put in my backyard a couple of years ago, and I have another object that's in my wrist. It's very different. It has different properties to it, and it won't take an X-ray at all. And the only way that I know for a fact, I knew it was there because I have memory of the experience, but I had a girlfriend who came to my home with her portable ultrasound machine, and I know she did this as a gift for me to help me prove myself I wasn't crazy. And she ultrasounded my wrist, and she clearly saw that there is an object that's in my wrist, and her words were, Alta, I couldn't write a report for a doctor if I wanted to because whoever or whatever put that there, they placed it where I can see it, but it won't cast a shadow. Again, this is unheard of. And they were able to determine what kind of um, material it was? I mean, this, this, I mean, have you actually seen it physically yourself with your eyes, been able to kind of uh, somehow touch it or feel it? Okay, were so they able to... it's just underneath the top layer of skin. Okay. Mm-hmm. So most of the time, it can be felt by fingers by pinching it right. together. You can feel you can feel okay. the diameter and the width, but it also seems to change shape and it moves. So this story gets creepier and creepier. Mm-hmm. But I'm not the only one. There are videos that you can look up. Anybody listening to this mm-hmm. by one by one known as Whitley Strieber, who is the one that I've never read his work. I've never read anybody's work. I you know mm-hmm. this is what I what I've discovered from my own experience is Whitley Strieber uh, has on video on the computer for anybody to look up. When he tried to have his, as he calls it, implant removed from, I think, his ear, it's on video where the doctor's in there with the the pliers, or, you know, the little, clips, the little tweezers inside his ear, and this object moves. And it's all videoed. Now, my object moves. I can't feel it when it does, but many times it will bury itself, meaning it will move all the way down to the bone. And I'm a large girl with large arms. That's quite a bit of space. About has it, you know, do I know its properties or what it's made of? There's a whole list on the computer uh, through Dr. Roger Lear's site. He's a medical doctor who has become quite famous as the only doctor that I'm aware of who is world-renowned, if you will, for removing these, as they call them, implants. He has a whole team of scientists on his side. He's in California. They have published many of their findings, but this is so big that I personally can't imagine any human in this time frame is ever going to understand. Hmm. They they indicate that some of the properties of these implants are made up of meteorites. But none of us who have these objects have any entry wounds. There's no entry wounds. You cannot tell where these were put in if, it, if mining fact was implanted. I also had handprints. When I came to the next day, I was too busy dealing with the trauma. I came out of this experience with a memory. 
And then on top of the memory, I knew I had an object in my arm with no memory of how it got there or what it was or who did it. I don't even know that it was implanted. To this day, I don't know if it didn't come with the package. I have no idea, Mm -hmm. but what I do know is that the next morning when Chad woke up, he's asking me to tell him how we got home, and he's very disturbed. He walks around behind me because he can see that I'm flipping out over the fact I've discovered this thing in my arm, and he sees that I have handprints around both my arms that are four-digit, very long fingers. These are bruises that are around both the backs of my arms as if somebody had held me from behind. The bruises lasted for a day or so and just went away. It's creepy. It's not all warm and fuzzy in in my eyes. Yeah, really. I mean, there's so much mystery that's going on here. In Chad's case, I'm so happy (laughs) for him about his regression and that that experience seems to be something he thoroughly I don't know. My take on it is was impressed to have happened to him. But in my case, it's very different. In Jacqueline's case, very different. So in essence, each of you kind of in one way shared the same experience, but shared it in very different ways then. Totally. That was brilliant, Diana. That's something that's brilliant because that's something that I've discovered in doing our own research. The the experience, Mm -hmm. we were all taken at the same time, apparently. It's all very individualized, all very individualized. And it seems that way. Um, And and yours seems extremely traumatic uh, in the way you're describing it as well. Um, And I I I couldn't begin to imagine that. So as far as... I'm sorry to keep stepping uh, on you. Oh, no, no, no. I just just had a quick question. Um, As far as, you know, he has done the regression and these memories come up now, (laughs) is there, I mean, since recounting all this and and having these experiences, these these objects inside of, finding the objects in your arm and in your skin and um, having these, these things happen now, Stepping forward into the future, I mean, as far as from there, I mean, have there been other experiences? Have you had additional experiences beyond that? Um, I know some people who are taken have experienced almost as if a revisitation um, by these by these, these beings. And have you yourself had that experience? <laughs> well, you know, I, I'll only relay to you what I know. I I try to stay away from thinking or belief system or any of that. What I know is that my mother, who has passed on, catered to people that she trusted, and she didn't trust many, and she was not a, a woman of fantasy. She was a self-made woman involved mm-hmm. in politics and so on and so forth, very grounded. But when she trusted somebody, she would tell them that in 1957, uh, or 58, I'm born in 1957 of the deserts of Arizona. My mother claims that in 50, when I'm about six months old and I'm born, you know, so it's somewhere at the end of 57 or 58, she's driving across the desert in broad daylight. She says it's daytime. She claims that I'm a baby riding alongside of her, and it's just her and I, and she claims that a UFO 
Sometimes she would say UFO. Sometimes she would say metallic craft. Came down out of the sky and stopped her on the highway. Now, because my mother was a woman of presence, nobody ever challenged those statements. They never questioned her. Nobody ever asked her to expound on it. And because I had no interest and I was, I, it freaked me out to her to, for her to say something like that, I never asked her either. So if, in fact, what my mother says is true, it would appear that it's been, something's been going on with me always. In my relationship with Chad, when I tell you that I know that Chad and I were arranged in 1990, a whole lot to mm-hmm. it, but I will say this little tidbit of it, is that within 24 hours of Chad and I being arranged, we discovered that Chad's grandfather, who had died before I met Chad, so I didn't have a chance to meet him in person, the world knew this man as George, but in fact his birth name is Alta, the same as mine, and his last name was Duncan, and that is my mother's name. I'm from a reservation in Arizona. Chad is from Arkansas. We don't have any family connection between us, and yet his grandfather and I share the same identical strange name. So, I mean, it's just crazy. It's crazy. So can I put a theory, if if you allow me to? Absolutely. Um, Thank you. Now, do you think that, I mean, okay, like I said, now we're just throwing theories out here. So do you think it's possible that knowing your mother's experience, that somewhere, uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of how to word this correctly. Um, do you think this was arranged by the people or the beings who took you all together? Well, again, it's all just theory, right? But in my, in my memory... Theory. In my memory of the night the three of us came off that corner, I was with a being that was not any that Chad described to you that he experienced on his craft. Chad described at least three different types of beings, and then that craft at the end might have been a being. He's not sure. So he may have encountered four different types. In my memory, I'm not with any of them. Mine is completely different. And so, it, who knows, right? Who knows? It, right. It is so bizarre. Who knows? I will also tell you, while you're on this theory and, and giving us this time and interested enough in what is happening with us, Chad's father and stepmother were in Cancun, Mexico in the year 2000 celebrating the new millennium. The short version on that story is, remember again, Chad and I had our first UFO in 1995 in Hammond. His father and stepmother saw the same identical craft, or at least described the same shaped craft, down in Mexico in 2000. We've also, his father, his father and I, we are not, we don't have a close relationship. So it's not like we put our heads together to come up with these stories. We don't communicate myself to Chad's Mm -hmm. people. But this father and his adult brother told Chad right before we moved here in 2001 in Alabama that they had a close-up personal encounter 
with the only way I know how to describe it would be a Sasquatchy, a Bigfoot, uh, you know, whatever okay. one wants to call. I and another girl had the most bizarre, what I feel were Sasquatchy encounters in my backyard several years after the father and the brother saw Sasquatch. Now, again, this is just so crazy that this is happening between the family. Okay. So can I ask really quick, um, it was, because uh, I, I didn't want to get too far from before we, um, it was, you were talking about the, the experience your mother had. Um, now, obviously, you were, you were too young to remember that. Um, how old were you when your mom finally told you about that experience? Um, I would remember from around nine on. I don't have any childhood memories. I told you I have a very mysterious past that just adds more strangeness to all of this. Um, Chad and I have just written a book for the first time that we've sent off now to get it edited to try to encapsulate these 23 years of just him and I together. But again, Quentin, just to try to answer that question for you, I didn't have any memories. I don't have any childhood memories until I'm around nine years old. So anything that I would remember would have started after nine, ten years old. Okay. Um, okay. So were you, but were you, real, like, from what you can, re- like, as far back as you can remember, which would be about age nine, um, was it when you were younger that your mom told you about it, or did she wait until you got older to tell you of this strange experience? Right. What I'm saying, Quentin, is that I have no memory before the age nine. Nine is when my memory starts, as if I had woke up at nine years old. Interesting. Well, and, you know, let's just top it off. This is why we've tried to encapsulate this in a book finally. Mm-hmm. It's because right. my memory, my first memory is sitting in a military hospital in Colorado, in Aurora, Colorado. Um, the hospital is called Fitzsimmons Hospital. And it's... In Aurora, uh, Colorado? In Aurora, Colorado, right. And this would have been in um, probably about 1960. Seven okay. or 66, mm-hmm. let's see, I'm born in 57, I was around nine, so I'm not good thinking real fast about numbers, but the point is, is that my first memory is I'm sitting in this hospital with uh, people all around me in long lab coats, and I'm being tested for ESP, I'm being tested for ESP, that is my first memory. So... I don't have an original birth certificate. I've never seen an original birth certificate on myself. And I'm also, um, you know, again, there's, there's no baby pictures of me at all. My photos of myself don't start until I'm two. So, again, no. I, have, I was raised with no family. My mother raised me alone. Mm-hmm. And when okay. my mother died, she died, on my, she died on my 40th birthday. To the minute I'm born, my mother crossed. And it was three months after my mother died that Chad and I and Jacqueline were taken off that corner. So I no longer had my mother physically to talk to, to ask any questions mm-hmm. to, to try to get any kind of answers to my mysterious past. So your, your first active memories, you were on 
you were in this military hospital in Aurora and you were being tested for ESP. Um, then you, that, that's your first physical uh, memory, correct? That's right. So your first I, actual memory of your childhood. Right. There were cards being held up in front. Now, mm-hmm. I have photos. There's always been photos from, for me from the age of two on, but I have no memories right. associated okay. with any of the photos. I have no memory of any of the photos. Mm-hmm. I look at them constantly, and I have all my life trying to capture memory, but I can't. My first memory is being uh, used flashcards, is I think what they called it. It had symbols on it. Right. And I was being tested and I know the to see cards. if I could. You're right. That's my first yeah, memory. And, and, I, and I know the cards you're talking about. Um, now, do you think, now obviously you've, you, you've had these experiences being taken um, by these, these, these beings. Now, and, and, I, and again, you know, I, I, I'm, Asking this with the utmost respect, um, I, I understand that there is possibility. Uh, do you think that there is a possibility of perhaps your mother have, having been taken by these individuals, these, these beings, and and er, please let me reiterate, I, I mean absolutely no disrespect here. I'm trying to find the best way to word this to you. Could it have been possible that your being here, in fact, um, because of their interaction with your mother. And, and maybe, um, I, and I don't like using the word hybrid or genetically manipulated, um, but would that be an option? You know, and I appreciate you trying to be delicate. I'm okay, and Chad is okay, so don't you worry. You know, we okay. You don't, okay. We dare come out public, not expecting anything and everything to come at us. So we thank you for your concern about us. But please, Diana, don't worry. It has been suggested okay. to me that I think mm-hmm. I was a hybrid in the past, and all I can say to you is, I have no idea. I have no right. idea. No idea, and everything is on the table. What I've tried to do okay. is not make okay. this mean. You know, I find, to me personally, and I could be wrong about this, but I find the fact that three individuals, one who's not related to the other two at all, have a night mm-hmm. of missing time. And right. Jacqueline, that is, that is Jacqueline experienced what is called shape-shifting prior to us being taken. Really? Several days okay, prior really quickly, to that. Really quickly, um, just just before you go into the, I, I want to hear the story about the shape shifting. Um, the hospital you were at was it? Do you know if it was one of the Air Force bases, either Buckley or Lowry? Can you remember? Are you talking about my childhood memory? Yes. Do you know, do you know which hospital it was or? Right. It was called Fitzsimmons. Fitzsimmons. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. I believe that they have, I believe they've shut that down, but I think only in the last couple of years. It's clearly, it's online. It's real easy to see. Okay. Just just for the purpose I of our listeners, a lot of them will want to do research, so. Sure. <clears throat> so I actually had a, a really quick question um, regarding your friend Jackie. Um, so I know you, you were talking a little bit about um, how you, you felt that you and Chad were kind of brought together. Um 
do you feel that Jackie plays a part in this, or is she just kind of like the bystander that kind of got caught up in it? Or do you feel that she was intentionally sent to you as a friend, or I'm trying to figure out the correct way to word this, there was a reason right. that you became friends with her and a reason that you worked with her and blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, Chad and I were arranged in 1990. It was 97 when we met Jacqueline, um, you know, so seven years later. But, yes, there's no doubt to me, just my heart tells me that Jacqueline and I particularly, but all three of us, but particularly in my case because I was the first to meet her, the moment that we met, now at the time Jacqueline was 24, single, never married, no children. I was 40, no children, married to Chad at that point for 10 years, or somewhere about, wait, I'm bad on math, seven years, I guess. Chad is 10 years younger, so when we met Jacqueline, I'm 40, Chad was 30, Jacqueline 24. Um, the moment that Jacqueline and I met, it was, Love at first sight in my heart. I knew her. She was familiar. And I was so happy to be reunited with her. And I had never met her before. But that's certainly how I felt. And I feel that she felt the same way towards me to some degree. I know she certainly, I, I know the three of us. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know that the three of us, her and I and Chad, have a wonderful rapport with each other and a, and a mm-hmm. fun kind of connection, if you will. So, um, also, Jacqueline has, but you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not studied enough to speak completely on her behalf prior to that event that happened to us. Mm-hmm. But Jacqueline had shared with me some privacies about her youth. Um, she came from okay. up north, um, and some of the things that she shared with me were very interesting in my eyes uh, and very telling about her having a lot of mystery going on in her life, also. Okay, and this isn't about shape-shifting. That would be interesting to hear about. Right. So Jacqueline, as I told you, she's 24 at the time. She lived at Algiers Point. She had a duplex uh, there where she could almost see the water. She was so close to the point. She had been dating a guy. His name is Will. I always called him Dark Boy. He was just as cute as could be, but he was her polar opposite. She was tall, slender, long blonde Mm -hmm. hair, very vibrant. She's very vibrant. She's very direct, no drama queen, um, uh, very passionate kind of person. Will was, had long, dark hair, had a darkness about him. He was quite cute, but a darkness about him, so I thought of him as dark boy. I didn't spend, Chad and I didn't spend much time around him, and she only dated him for a minute. You know, I don't even know. It was a minute in a person's life. When she chose to not want to see him anymore, she chose to have him come over to her duplex. She chose to stay outside on the porch of the duplex. So this is all going on outside in daylight. She chose to break up with him to do it nicely. She wanted, of course, to remain mm-hmm. friends, and she knew they would because right. she just they they hadn't she wasn't in love. She's standing there telling him basically what she's intending to do, which is move on and see others. And as she's talking to him. Jacqueline says she's only a couple inches from his face. Now, I guarantee you, Jacqueline would have never told us this if she intended for this to have been a lie. This would have never happened, and I would not be puffed on her Mm -hmm. behalf. She said that within a couple inches of his face, he became extremely emotional, and then she said he shifted into a wolf. 
a wolf. She said she turned her head because it was in such shock. She looked back, and he had shifted again. So apparently within seconds or blinks, he's shifting. She said as she's looking straight at him, he did it a second time. When he did it the second time, she said, I'll watch my language because we're on radio. She said, you just turned into an effing wolf. She used the word. She was very direct. She said that it shocked him, and his response told her the truth. She said in a shocked response, his look, he said, you saw that, which confirmed to her she saw what she saw. Now, wow. that, end, that ended, obviously. I don't know if she ran in the house or what exactly. I'm going to have to ask her that. We just spoke recently, and I'm going to have to ask her. I try not to bring it up too much, but this is where it mm-hmm. even gets crazy. If that's not crazy enough, I'm from Arizona of mixed Indian blood, okay. and I've never seen shape-shifting, and I've never seen Sasquatches, and I've never seen any of it, nor have I really questioned it. I had no interest. To me, it was our lore, and I just went with it. Here's Jacqueline, who's not Indian, seeing a wolf man twice. Mm-hmm. What? So this is what happens. When I told you that Jacqueline is put behind the steering wheel of her moving car, it's a parked car and knocks off her rearview mirror, which has jolted her too. I also told you all that she was in another section of the city from where she parked that car that morning. She's in the section of the city heading to his house, to Wolf Boy's, Wolfie Boy's house. So she says that she drives over to his house. She says it's around 3-ish in the morning. He lives in a not nice neighborhood of New Orleans. Not someplace she'd be strolling around at 3-ish in the morning. She said there's a normal gate that's always locked around this big old house that's been converted into apartments. But, of course, just like a bad, scary movie, not on this morning. That gate is wide open. She said she gets out of her car. She goes up the steps of the porch. She said she gets up to the top of the porch, and right inside the door is Will sitting with a light over him, if I remember correctly, and he's playing guitar. She said... She looks at him. She said he stops playing guitar. And again, just like a bad movie, he looks up at her and says, either I've been waiting for you or we've been waiting for you. She said she finds herself starting to laugh. She's becoming so emotional. She said she starts to cry. Now, I don't remember ever seeing Jacqueline cry. She said she becomes hysterical. She said, Will you know, wraps his arms around her or what have you and leads her off into a room. She lays down, or he lays her down in this room. She said she cries herself hysterically to sleep. She thinks she was only asleep an hour or two. She feels it was around five-ish when her eyes popped open. She's dressed. There's nothing sexual that's taken place. She said she looks right. around. She realizes what's happening, and she said she got the F out of there, and she never looked back. Now, just to finish that creepy story, back Mm -hmm. in 2000, and now this happened to us in 97, back in 2001, back in 2001, right before I moved to Alabama, I ran into an old friend of ours in the French Quarter, walking on the street. We sat and had Mm -hmm. a drink with each other. The guy, his name is Rich, was originally from, this I find very interesting, uh, Montauk, New York. There's a lot of craziness associated with Montauk, New York. 
So Rich tells me as we're sitting there, we hadn't seen each other in years. As we're trying to play catch up, he knew about us being taken and what had happened to Chad and I and Jacqueline. What I didn't know that he knew until that very moment was at the end of our meeting, after we had our drink and he was, we were about to part, out of nowhere, out of nowhere, he says to me, did you hear what happened to Will? Now, that shocked me because I had no idea Rich knew Will. I didn't even know he knew him. Okay. So the fact mm-hmm. that he pulls this name out of the air adds to the creepiness of this story. And I looked at him and I said, Will, how do you know him? And his response to me was, Will told everybody that he, had to, he was catching a bus to get out of New Orleans because, quote, unquote, the aliens were after him. Wow. That's right. Really? All I, could do was, all I could do was sit with my mouth hanging open, and I found that my friend was ready to part from me after hitting me with that. He just got up and said he had to run. He was late. Hugged me goodbye, and off he went. Do I think that this is all high strangeness? Absolutely. That is just, I mean, how do you respond to that, you know? Right. Right. I'm still trying to figure it out. There's this, I mean, from, from you know, your your girlfriend's, you know, experience with shape-shifting and then all everything happened after that and just, wow. And this is just amazing. I mean, it just, it sounds like you've had quite the adventurous existence. I can definitely say that. Now, if, if you don't mind me asking, um, you said you were of mixed uh, Native American background. Can I ask what, what background that is? My tribes are on maternal side, which is what I was primarily raised with. The regalia that I wear currently is Nez Perce, Nez Perce or Nez Perce of the Chief Joseph Band. I'm of the Chief Joseph Band. Mm -hmm. And then on my father's side, it's Blackfoot. I come from an area in Arizona. I come from the area of Arizona that's known as the San Carlos Apache Reservation. It's the territory of Geronimo. I'm not Mm -hmm. Apache, but... This is the area that my mother says that I'm from. Okay. And and you obviously have no recollection of your, your childhood from before nine years old. So um, now as far as currently, I mean, and actually I, I want to go back. Can I, can I go back a little bit to one of your stories, uh, one of your experiences, I should say? Um, you had mentioned Sasquatch um, creatures. And um, can you can you go just a, a little deeper into that experience? Because I think a lot of the listeners would find that extremely interesting. Um, I mean, there are complete shows devoted to nothing but the existence of Sasquatch. Um, could you go into a, a little deeper? Uh, we have a few minutes left in the show here, and I'd like to just kind of have you have you touch deeper on that, if I could, real quickly. Right. You know, um, what I'll add, because I'm going to have Chad take it over here for a moment and and describe to you what his father and his brother saw um, in regards to to this, because it was up close and personal. Go ahead, Chad. Right. Like Alpha said, we, we, we live right outside of Birmingham, Alabama. My dad had to okay. uh, catch a fight in uh, 
out of Atlanta Airport. So it's about a three-hour drive. It's about a three-hour drive from here. So they mm-hmm. get up real early, like four or five o'clock in the morning. Head out. His dad they, and his brother. It's my dad and my brother. They mm-hmm. they get right outside or right around uh, the Talladega National Forest. Um, okay. Which is right next. Which is you know forty miles down the road. They said they get um, they they get up and they they see what they think is a a hitchhiker or a backpacker on the side of the road uh, up against this guardrail. They said they get a little closer and a little closer, and they get probably you know fifty foot away, and they said this thing what what they thought was a guy with a backpack on. Crouched this down. Crouched down. They said this thing stands up, and they said it was about eight, nine foot tall, covered in hair. They said as it passed, as they passed this creature, this being, it just kind of looked at them and turned at the same time towards the um, the forest. Took two, three steps into the forest and was gone. You know, the whole point of this is the fact that his father will not speak about this. Yeah, my dad don't talk about it. At all. will tell tell the story, but unless you get him a couple of beers. (laughs) Right, right. The point is that in their description of this experience, they make it very clear that this being stood up for them as they got closer. It was on it was on the highway side of the guardrail, and it and it looked mm-hmm. right at as they drove past. Now, okay. keep in mind again the father the father saw the same identical shaped looking craft that Chad and I saw down in Mexico. So there is clearly, mm-hmm. in my mind, some kind of weird connection in some cases of UFOs and Sasquatchy because. In my, in my case, I had a girlfriend. It was Chad and I and two girlfriends. One of them happened to be Jacqueline. She flew in for my birthday a couple of years ago, about okay. five years ago. I think about five, six years ago, while we were living here in Alabama. She flew in, mm-hmm. and another girlfriend flew in from New York City to come and celebrate my birthday with me. We spent the day. Chad took all the girls out on a boat and we spent the day out on the lake celebrating, eating, drinking, partying, swimming, lots of sun. Right. That night, by that, by that night, now Chad doesn't drink alcohol at all, so he didn't have anything in him. The rest of us, you know, we were drinking throughout the day, but all of us were mm-hmm. cognizant. All of us, at least two of us particularly, were very cognizant. One of us, Jacqueline, okay. I think had too much sun. And what I know is that around, by the time we got home, probably, I don't know, between 10 and 11 o'clock at night, Jacqueline chose to lay down on the couch in my downstairs living room. Chad went to bed. I had two huge dogs at the time, one of them a Great Dane and one a Rottweiler Doberman, that both were sleeping in their beds right outside our bedroom door. And the reason I bring that up is that Allison and I decided to go up on my upstairs deck and do something I'd never done before. 
and that's called stargazing. I've never done it before. We went okay. up there. I'm trying to tell you this story fast. We got up on top of that deck, and the minute we both got up there, she and I both simultaneously saw something flash across the sky in different directions. We knew instantly we were seeing something that was not, as they call normal, UFOs, to put it in the most mild term. Rather than stand there and try to see more, we did what I'm describing to you, there's no logic behind. I'm just describing exactly as we did it. We right. decided, okay, well, that's enough. Let's go to bed now. That makes no sense to me. Here we both have just seen something in the sky that most people don't see, and we instantly decide to go to bed. So we, we, we came downstairs of my deck, came through my backyard. We were going to go in my downstairs entrance, which was French glass doors, Jacqueline was only lying a couple of feet away from those doors on that couch. Chad and my dogs were only several feet away from Jacqueline in proximity. By the time Allison and I got to that, close to the doors to go in, we started to hear something come out of the woods that were behind, was behind our property that is not describable, okay. and, I, and I'm struggling with everything inside myself to explain to you what we heard. What I heard was so many Bigfoot, Sasquatch screams, yells, and hollers that I can't really. Tell you. The number was so huge. I could hear every one of them individually in my head. And the sound was palatable. And it was coming at us like an invisible rolling wave of pure terror. Now, we were terrorized. Allison and I were terrorized because this was coming at us. As far as I'm concerned, the whole town should have heard what was happening to us. And yet, mm-hmm. nobody was moving in my house. Nobody heard. When that sound mm-hmm. rolled up on us, now keep in mind, we mm-hmm. never saw a thing. But when the sound rolled up on us, I was positive we were dead. And at that very moment, I looked. To my right, Allison had her hand on the doorknob of those glass doors. She was so terrified she wasn't going to open the door. She was going to bolt through the glass. Wow. Now, I mean, I couldn't command, imagine happening. Something, something came over me to tell her to stand. And when I commanded her to stand, it wasn't me doing it. Something made me say this to her. When, when these words came out of my mouth to her, it stopped her from bolting through those glass doors. And she stood there paralyzed like a deer in headlights. And at that very moment, I knew we were dead. And then in that very moment, like an invisible hand was above my head, it turned off mm-hmm. an invisible switch, and everything stopped instantly. Allison and I composed, we, we were able to breathe again. We went inside the house. We wanted to collapse out of fear. Jacqueline was smooth asleep, my dogs never moved, and Chad was snoring. Nobody heard a thing. Wow. And you know what? I think um, that is definitely a good um, good part of your experiences to end the show on. Uh, that is definitely the thing of nightmares. Um, honestly, I, I really don't know how I would – I'd probably go through the glass doors myself. 
I honestly would. Uh, we are down to the final few minutes of the show, though. Um, I really could just keep talking about this with you all night long. This is, I mean, your, your experiences are fascinating. They truly are. Um, I like they definitely could make, you know, a three-hour show of this. Um, but, um, we've got again, unfortunately. I'm sorry, Diana. I'm just letting you know we've got amazing mm-hmm. ghosty stories if you're ever interested, since I know that you're interested. Yeah. Now, we would definitely mind. have to get you guys back on. Oh, absolutely. I definitely think we're going to do that because this is, this is just amazing. I'm, I'd love to go farther into this with you. Um, we are, unfortunately, this is the last few minutes of the show tonight. And uh, you guys have been amazing. And thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us, with our audience. Um, you know, I know they're very personal. And we, we really do appreciate your candor and, on, you know, and your openness on the show. Um, again, folks, uh, we've been live tonight with um, Chad and Alta. Um, both have shared their experiences with us. And, um, again, just saying thank you. Um, hopefully we can get you guys back on the show again. If you, if you, you know, be interested in doing that, we'd love to have you again. Yeah, we, we love and, uh, and, and enjoy uh, sharing our story. Mm-hmm. And we so appreciate you yeah. having us. Thank you so much, both you and Quentin. No. And if oh, anybody ever... And- Sorry, okay, keep us posted ever... on your book. Yeah, oh, we will. Ahead. We were just, yeah, I think, just going to book. Chad has Facebook. Um, if we could okay. offer for anybody out there that might ever want to make contact with us, he has a Facebook page. Yeah, Facebook, uh, Chad Dillard. And then uh, we've got Unique Rabbit Shawls and, uh, uh, on uh, Facebook. And then um, if... Uh, Ever we've got uh, readingswithalta.com. We've got some uh, stories on it also. Working on her website, our website. Okay. And we'll let you know when oh, we get the book done. We thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, that'd be great. No, thank you. And also, just uh, a little note here, if you want, um, if you go to our radio page on Facebook, it's Stackhouse Radio, three different words, Stackhouse Radio. Uh, Chad, you're on Facebook. So you're, uh, you're on my Facebook, so you should be able to get to my radio page. Yeah. If you get to our radio page, feel free to post and share all those links for our listeners too, because they do check oh, up on the web page, on the Facebook page. So please you. feel free to share all those on the radio page. Uh, again, folks, I want to thank Chad and Alter for being here this evening. Um, again, you know, thank you to all our listeners out there, also our, our archive listeners. If you are listening on the show in the archives, you're on our blog talk page, please check out our Facebook page at Stackhouse Radio. Again, that's Facebook. Give us a like while you're there. And uh, for the listeners out there, always feel free to go ahead and share stories, experiences um, on our radio page. It's there for you guys. So we really want you guys to make use of that as well. Um, Quentin, anything else would you like to add before we end the show? Oh, I would just like to thank Chad and Alta for being here with us tonight. I have enjoyed myself. Uh, hopefully we'll get to talk to them again soon. Uh, I want to thank our listeners, our archive listeners. I know you've already done that. But, uh, um, and I would like to um, thank anyone who uh, comes to us with um, stories or questions, like you were talking about for our page. It is there for you guys to tell us what's going on with you and if ever you want to be on the air to tell us a little something. 
And uh, hopefully, uh, if we get Chad Dalton back, you guys can call in with some more yes. questions. Uh, and thank you to Marguerite for calling in tonight with her yes, awesome. um, question mm-hmm. or idea. So that's all I've got to say for tonight. So thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Okay. And thank you, Chad and Alt, for being here, and hopefully we'll get you guys back on again soon. Thank you. Everybody have a wonderful night. Okay, you too. Thanks so much, listeners, and we will see you next week, Tuesday, here at Stackhouse Radio's On Air Scare, um, Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. We'll see you next week. Have a good night, folks.